Alright, first I think there's a little bit of confession needs to go on, apologizing for laughing at a... Uh... So anyway, I'm sorry for laughing at the picture. And there'll be a test afterwards to see if you recognized all the faces on that uh, wonderful montage. I, a number of you have said uh, I was uh, foolish, that we were foolish to explore what it means, what do we believe about following Jesus and politics, or following Jesus and patriotism, which we've done uh, this summer. But that's nothing compared to following Jesus and marriage when the one you're married to is a member of the congregation and seated, seating, sit, sitting in your midst. And hopefully will remain that way during this. That's dangerous when your wife is out there. No, uh, I was told uh, that no... No stories of a certain kind, or if there were, then there would be a demand before the session for equal time from the pulpit. <laughs> so to address the, what it means to follow Jesus and be in marriage um, really is fraught with peril. Lots of personal reasons to avoid it, and even more cultural reasons because of its controversy and challenge today. But maybe that's the very reason to address it. As we explore marriage, then it inevitably addresses the issues of sex. And, uh, and that is everywhere in our world. And often very confused and our world's teaching about sexuality even upside down compared to God's plan and will and loving direction in Scripture. Because it's such a prominent issue in our culture and because there's such a battle, really, even disagreements, harsh disagreements, direct opposite disagreements in the church we must continue to address it in that context, because of that context. But don't be disappointed that it's still an issue in the church. That's the way it's been since the beginning. Just read 1 Corinthians. I mean, the church in Corinth had sex really messed up. I mean, they had sons having sex with mother-in-laws. And is that okay or not okay? You know, is it okay to have sex with temple prostitutes? Or maybe we should all just get divorced because Jesus is coming back. Those are some of the issues that Paul was addressing in the church, in Corinth. They were in the generation, first generation of the church. And I'll speak to some of those, but not for long. But if... It'll certainly raise more questions than give uh, more uh, answers, or at least it'll just give clear answers without much discussion around them. And the brown bag lunch will continue today. If you want to continue that discussion, we've had great meetings, 1230 in uh, the parlor. Feel free to bring your lunch and come uh, continue to, to chew on these uh, matters together. Because what our real focus is not on the controversy of the day necessarily as it is. What does it mean for us to follow Jesus in marriage? 
we can get so focused on the controversies of the day that, that affect you know, a few, that the things that affect most of us, we just avoid. But before we continue with Ephesians 5, or look at Ephesians 5, also recognize that marriage does not directly involve us all. I mean, there are some in this room who will never be married. And Paul even highlights that. Whether it's both for those that are single, never been married, or those that are widows. In 1 Corinthians 7, He points out that if it were his preference, he would wish that folks would remain single so that they could be sold out for Jesus without any other items crowding in their lives. And that's, he's right. I mean, their time and energy are given to other requirements in life as we're married, as we have families. That's part of the reason that the brown bag luncheons will start next week, or will stop next week. Because my wife said, you know, it'd be nice for you to be at home one Sunday afternoon while it's still summer. Good timing on her part to ask that, right, as I'm preaching on marriage. Another issue that, uh, that Paul addresses, I think, is that sometimes in our culture, we can go totally the other end in the questioning about what is marriage and family today to making marriage and family the very goal of life and make it an idol that somehow if we're not married, we're incomplete. The goal of life is not to be married. The goal of life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The goal of life is for God to to be at work in us to make us more and more like Christ until that day that we see Him face to face. And that's that's also the goal of marriage. So I hope for all of us, some of us it will be directly applicable, some it will be applicable in the, the near or maybe distant future, and for others, applicable in our own relationships because marriage will not be in our future but applied in our current relationships within family or within our closest friends let's pray together gracious God we give you thanks for your word as it speaks to us of truth as you guide us in in the ways of life the ways that are fulfilling life the ways that, that lead us to to joy, to your joy. And particularly this day, we pray for the the, the marriages, current and, and future, that you would lead us to hear your word, to apply your truth, so that we might receive the fullness of your many gifts and might in turn be a witness to the world of your glory. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 21. It's found on page 952 in your pew Bible. And again, we'll start with verse 21. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. 
the body of which he is the Savior. Just as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word so as to present the church to himself in splendor without a spot or wrinkle or anything of that kind. Yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own body, but he nourishes and tenderly cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I am applying it to Christ and the church. Each of you, however, should love his wife as himself, and a wife should respect her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The first thing out of this passage and this relates more to just the issues of the culture that are before us, is that the Scriptures throughout, from beginning to end, present marriage, even in the very beginning, which one of the passages we saw during the montage, in Genesis chapter 2, after the, uh, that, that marriage is between a man and a woman. The basic theme of Scripture throughout, the, the point throughout, and it never deviates from that presentation. And the history of the church through our 2,000 years has understood marriage between, to be between a man and a woman. And that place where a number of things are fulfilled, but especially, one, being sexuality. Being sexual intimacy. To be fulfilled in that committed relationship between a man and woman under God's glorious gift. It's throughout the Scriptures to flee fornication, to flee adultery, to flee sexual involvement outside of those glorious, wonderful boundaries that God has set before us. Now I know in the midst of our culture, and again as I said, even in the midst of the church, there is disagreement over this. Great disagreement. And the church will survive because the church doesn't depend on itself. We depend on God. And the church has been in disagreement over who Jesus is. And the church survives because God leads it for us. The church, and more recently, was in disagreement over if slavery was right or wrong. And it took a hundred years for the church to work through that. And God continued to lead. And we are in the midst of a similar issue today when it comes to sexuality. And we're in the midst of it because our culture is in the midst of it. And there are many strong voices that want to to move those boundary lines, want to, to free us from the bonds of that old way of thinking. But recognize, realize, these bonds are not here to weigh us down. These bonds are here to free us. These boundary lines are here for our own good, for God's design, and for our enjoyment of the gifts that God has given us within their appropriate place. Fire released 
from its bonds, from its boundary lines, is very dangerous. Just ask the folks in California now. The atom, outside of its boundary lines, outside of its bonds, is extremely dangerous and explosive and harms many in its wake. God has given us these guidelines to, to follow, to obey for our own good. That sexuality is a wonderful gift of God, created by God, to be enjoyed by a man and a woman in a committed relationship with each other called marriage. It is, that addresses a number of different elements. It, it addresses that it's not, sexuality isn't created for those not married, before marriage. It's not created for those outside the bonds of marriage. And it's not created for those in a same gender relationship. We need to be clear that that's what the Scriptures teach. And it's what the church still affirms. Now what I'm sorry about in our focus on one particular element there, specifically on the homosexual element there, is that that sort of gets the rest of us off the hook because we keep fighting on that particular area. And in addition, because that issue continues to be plastered and because we as a church have not... I'm okay with us disagreeing. I'm fine with that, as I've told you many and many times. But let's disagree according to the ways of Jesus. And we haven't. And I have to admit, if I was one who was struggling, faced with homosexual tendencies, desires within me the last place I would walk would be inside a Presbyterian church because that's the place where they fight about me. My hope and dream, and I believe our hope and dream, is to be a place for healing, a place for growing, a place for learning, a place for helping one another, a place to be like Jesus. And if you'll recall, He was one who people that were sinners were drawn to. People who are sinners like me and like you and like everyone else. We get so focused on the minority that we forget the huge issue that affects so many of us, which is heterosexual activity outside the bind, the bounds of marriage, a committed marriage between a man and a woman. One of the greatest learnings I ever had about this was in college and was taught there clearly for at least the first time that it finally entered of how sexuality was uh, that gift to be enjoyed and explored within the confines of marriage. And I recognized that in my relationship at that particular time, we'd crossed, we'd broken those boundaries. And through much fear and trembling and discussion and growing together, we pulled back within those boundaries. Now, never... 
forget, driving back one day, I'd been away at a weekend retreat uh, event down in uh, Atlanta, and I was driving back to North Carolina, and we had pulled back our physical intimacy to uh, very minimal for about six months. And as I drove back into town, back onto campus, I remember in that moment with tears rolling down my face, the excitement that I had when I realized that my heart was yearning to be with my girlfriend. But my heart was yearning because I wanted not physical intimacy, because that was no longer an option. We had set those boundaries clear. I wanted to be with her because I wanted to be with her. I wanted to talk to her. I wanted to share with her what had happened. I I wanted emotional intimacy, relational intimacy, but not the physical. Because the physical is so powerful, it it clouded over everything in my life. Don't get me wrong, it wasn't like I was cured of libido. (laughs) But there was just an eye-opening experience of, wow, God, you really do know what you're talking about, don't you? I really simply want to be with her. I might even really love her instead of loving what we do. When we let go of those bonds, those boundaries, when we transgress them, explosions can occur and the smoke can cloud what's really happening. Again, back to the church in Corinth. As Paul was addressing that issue of having sex with prostitutes, temple prostitutes, which they said was okay, Paul was saying, what are you thinking? (laughs) No, and that's my translation. He says, don't you realize the spiritual element to physical intimacy? There, There is, you cannot separate physical intimacy from spiritual intimacy. You have been joined with Christ, so how in the world can you then be joined with a prostitute? Verse 18 of chapter 6. Shun fornication. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the fornicator sins against the body itself. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. God's guidance for for sexuality, God's guidance for marriage, God's wisdom is to keep those boundaries strong for our own enjoyment, for our own protection. And if you have transgressed those boundaries, or if you are currently in a relationship that is, stop. Do whatever it takes. Get get the help that you need. Find a trusted friend to walk with you. You are messing with fire, an explosion that will only cloud things and can only hurt. Do whatever it takes to stop. So the gift of sexuality was designed to be enjoyed in the committed relationship of Christian marriage between a man and a woman. And in that relationship then, as the Ephesians passage then unfolds, 
we enter into this laboratory, this crucible, this this place where through our mutual submission to one another, we learn what Christian love is, what Christ-likeness is. As we give ourselves to one another like Jesus gave himself to us, we experience him in a wonderful way. The driving verse for our passage is verse 21. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, to your husbands as you are to the Lord. Matter of fact, in the, in the Greek, you don't even have the word be subject to. It's just wives to your husband. It's just assuming it's common in Greek. You're, assume, you're letting the, the previous verb be the verb in that moment. So that's why that's our heading. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. And and catch how this is so intimately connected to our relationship with Jesus. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives to your husbands as you are to the Lord. Husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. See, it's this, this holy, glorious cycle of us submitting to one another unto Christ. So that each of us then become more and more like Christ. It's a glorious cycle. Both have relationships that are under the Lordship of Christ. And then both in their relationship, as it is under Christ, become more and more like Christ as they live that out. This is that crucible for, for learning about love. The laboratory where we, we experience and test it out and, and grow deeper and deeper and becoming more like Christ. Now, it's not romance. I don't mean, when I say love, I do not mean romance. So every, pretty much 98% of every movie you've ever seen, you know, throw it out. I mean, that, when it comes to love, it's not romance. That, that's not the biblical picture of love here. And you can ask my wife, I'm not the romantic. She's taught me a lot in our 22 years about uh, romance. But that's not what I'm talking about here. What we're talking about here is commitment. Commitment to another person even though it hurts. A willingness to bless another person even if it causes me physical pain or emotional pain. That's this mutual submission like Christ. Submitted himself to the way of the Father for us. That's the submitting, wives submitting to your husbands as Christ, as submitting unto Christ. That's husbands loving their wives like Christ loved the church. Now the the event for me where I experienced this the most was when we moved from Charlotte to Mobile. It was really the first move as a family beyond, I mean, beyond just uh, Kathy, my wife and I. And the process that we went through in order to make that decision was poor. I'm going to cut the, the details away because they don't put me in a good light. <laughs> and basically tell you, bottom line, it was me seeking my dream and my desire. And Kathy saying that she didn't think this was the right thing, but I'll go with you. 
Now, neither of us said it with that tone or with those few words. So you can fill in the details and all the emotion in the events, okay? But I already told you, well, I'm not telling you. We moved. And lovingly, my wife never looked back. Or if she did, she never told me about it, nor rubbed it in my face. She made the most of the situation to which we all benefited. I mean, God's greater than our sin. Praise the Lord. But her maturity in Christ and her maturity in our relationship shone in that moment because, or in that decision, in that process, because through that process, I chose her pain over mine. And she chose her pain over mine. And in the process, never intentionally inflicted pain on me. What an example of Jesus. Because Jesus chose His pain over mine. Jesus chose His pain over ours. It's in this relationship, this crucible... That we experience that. That we learn that. Thankfully, Jesus chose His pain over ours. And thankfully, in His grace, we can learn from our mistakes, whatever they might be in this area. God's grace is greater still. Whatever our pain, whatever our past, whatever it might be, God can teach us and lead us forward, just like He did us. For in our process of coming here was very different. And it became our decision. And not just one's decision. In our tradition, marriage is not a sacrament like baptism and communion. But it certainly is, in reality, sacramental. It is one of those crucial places where we experience Jesus. And where we are sanctified. We are made more holy, like we just sang. Where we are broken. Where we are made more righteous. Through Him. Jesus' relationship with the church is our model for marriage. And you can see, if that's the case, then you can see how divorce is never meant to be in a Christian marriage. Because His relationship with us is totally committed to us, no matter what the cost. Now, I know, in a group this size, there's you know, 25, 30% of us have directly been impacted by divorce, some divorced here. And I don't mean this, say this anyway, to beat you up. You've had enough pain as it is. I've seen that. I've been through enough divorces on the outside, uh, through family members and very close friends. And as I said, God is in the business of cleaning up the messes that we make of our lives, of our sin and our brokenness. Praise God for His grace and mercy. So, That forgiveness that we've already talked about. Receive that totally in divorce or whatever our brokenness might be in this area. So, from now on, from now, this point on, let's talk about today. 
From today on then, everyone in this room recognize that divorce is not an option for Christian marriage. Do all in your power today and forward to fulfill the marriage commitment you have made or you will make. Jesus is clear that divorce is not God's desire, design. In Matthew 19, he makes it clear. Even talking about how it's the only reason divorce is, is given is because of our own weakness. Our charge is to do everything we can to fulfill our promise that we've made to God that we've made to the church and that we've made to our spouses on our wedding day. And truly to make it till death do us part. The greatest illustration to me of that is a couple. They're from uh, Alabama. In 1960, they'd been married a few years. And he, the husband, was in law school at the university, and also 29 in law school and also a millionaire because he had started this marketing firm while he was in law school. I mean, he was a good businessman. He was brilliant. A Christian man. And he was spending so much of his time and energy with his business, law school, working the, the community that his wife Two kids at the time just felt neglected, didn't know who he was. He came home one day from a long day of work, found a note from his wife that she'd had enough and she was leaving him. That she was going to get her mom and they were going to New York City for the weekend. When he came home, read the letter, he was shaken to the core. And he, he, I mean, this isn't supposed to happen. I mean, he was a good Christian man. This, this wasn't supposed to, to, to happen in their lives. And, and it's before cell phones, before anything like that, you know. So he just grabbed his keys, got in his car, and took off. 14 hour journey to Manhattan to find his wife. Uh, that journey, you know, a lot of time to think, pray, cry, to do whatever he can. To what does it take to make this right? And let alone finding the woman in Manhattan. But by God's providence, he does. Grabs a hold of her, pull, pulls her out of the store, puts her in a cab and just tells the cabbie, start driving until I tell you to stop. And there he repents, he confesses, he says, I'm sorry, what can we do? And an hour cab drive later, they come to the point of saying, we've got to do whatever it takes to make this work. Because this is a promise that can't be broken. Greater than any other promise that he's made before. This was the one he had to do. And so what they did was sell everything to Jesus to the rich ruler. Sell everything 
give it to the poor and moved to a little Christian commune called Koinonia Farms in Americus, Georgia. And there, Millard and Linda Fuller lived for four years and the seeds were planted for the internationally known Ministry of Habitat for Humanity and their work in Americus, Georgia. That's the example of the level of commitment we make that was made just right here on Saturday when we say, I do, before God and these witnesses. I've been in close relationship with two friends who were in very difficult times in their marriage. And I told them this story and suggested it to them. They didn't take me up on it. But I pray for each of us in our commitment in our marriage relationship that we would be willing to follow this kind of decision in order to fulfill our promise to one another. I have another couple who are my heroes. They are my real heroes because they have a very hard marriage. They don't get along sometimes. And I've been there and I've seen it. But they are committed to God and committed to one another and they love each other with a passion that I can't understand. They find themselves in the counselor's room every about every 18 months, every three years or so. But they are my heroes because of their commitment to God and their commitment to one another and to do what it takes to continue to grow in their love and Christ-likeness with each other. Now we've asked uh, two couples from the congregation to come share of their experience in marriage. How they have experienced Christ in their marriage. So I've asked uh, Beth and Tom Dreyer and Peter and Amy Dreyer to, to come forward and to share with us some of their insights just in their experiencing with uh, one another. Peter and Amy, can you all come over and use that one? Thank you. And simply how they experience Christ in their own relationship with each other. How has Jesus' teaching led them and how in their relationship with each other have they learned from Christ? Please, thank you. Um, Tom and I have been married 32 years. We were married in Boston. Um, we were new Christians at the time, and, uh, and we spent a lot of our married, married life here within this congregation. And Peter and I were married a year and a half ago. Uh, we both grew up going to this church, and so we had the um, privilege and the, and the blessing of being married right here in this sanctuary. We've, we see, uh, looking back over 32 years, 
34, actually, of knowing each other. Um, Christ has made a, a difference in our relationship compared to what would have been a Christless relationship. It's starting with the, the vocabulary we use to actually get to know each other, sharing, sharing the same understanding of what the universe is, who made it, who we are, who made us, and what we are, uh, how he made us. We are creatures in his image who can say, I experience life in the universe with something that's inside me that sort of knows to say, I am, and that there's, there are others out there that are sort of like me that are also created in his image who also are little I ams. Remember, that's God's name. And when there's another I am out there, you can have a relationship with that, that person. It's not the same as owning my shoes, as C.S. Lewis said. My wife is not the same as my shoes. Sharing that vocabulary allowed us to build a relationship and a similar experience, parallel experience to what Drew had. Um, when we began to fall in love with each other where we met in Cambridge, Massachusetts, right about that point where we really got interested, I had to come back here to Cincinnati to go to medical school. She stayed in Boston to work. And we had to write letters to each other. You know what letters are? <laughs> paper. It's not, not like texting. It's, it's, le it's letters. And, and we send them by snail mail. It only costs 28 cents, too. Um, I highly recommend writing to someone you think God may be calling you to have a married life because it forces you to put your thoughts on paper. Jesus is the Word, the Logos, who gives meaning to words that we use. There are, there are meanings to words. They're not just whatever meaning we want them to mean. And if you write down what your hopes and dreams are for your married life, for a marriage, put them into paragraphs. It forces you to be less than just an emotional bundle of libido. Um, it, it, it allows you to see whether God is calling you to be married or not. Having Christ in our relationship allowed us to realize that we didn't have to build it just exactly right. We didn't have to find exactly the right person. We just had to ask, Lord, is this what you're calling us to? It's much simpler. It's also much more sacrificial. It's, it's saying, I'm not the one that's in control. We learned that we had to give our will to him to even know whether we should be married. We had to give ourselves to each other. That's what marriage is, is giving oneself away in a covenant, not a contract. A contract is where you get about the same amount of goods and services in exchange for goods and services that you gave. This covenant is where we give ourselves completely to the other person, 100%. And when you give yourself to another person, there's a consequence, and that is you're going to be changed by giving yourself to that other person in ways that you didn't expect, in ways that might hurt. <clears throat> Jesus, I think the Trinity demonstrates that. The night before he, was, he died on the cross for us, he gave himself to the Father explicitly in the garden. Not my will, but thine. And the next day he gave himself, he gave his body and blood to us to save us.
from eternity in ruination and separation from everything that could have relationship. So the context of that common vocabulary allowed us to build the relationship. It also allowed us to weather some of the storms when nine months into it, into marriage that is, we realized that, well at least I did, oh my gosh, we, I made a terrible mistake. How did I get into this? We had a, we had a, <clears throat> a fight, a disagreement, uh, and the only thing I knew for sure was that, that covenant said there has to be, there has to be a, a way out of this, a way through it, not a way out of it, a way through it. Not, not just, okay, break the contract. Uh, if your mortgage is getting a little bit tough for you, just walk away. No, you can't do that in a covenant. You have to work through it. So we did. We called Gary Sweeten. He gave us some really bad news. We'd have to get counseling from somebody I didn't know. <laughs> that, looking back on that, which seemed to be kind of the end of the end of marriage as I knew it at the time, it, it's a small thing. It's a it's a little bump that that I have to think about to remember even. Um, and it's and and we got through that because we saw this as a covenant, a covenant that we just there it wasn't an option to to break it. Should let uh, somebody else talk. <laughs> um, Thanks, Tom. <laughs> well, for Peter and me, um, our marriage is um, the, the foundation is is Christ. And when we spoke our marriage vows to one another um, right here on this stage, uh, we were not only committing to serve one another, but we were committing to to serve one another through serving Christ. And knowing that we uh, share that belief and that commitment um, in common, uh, that's what makes marriage just absolutely a blessing. And uh, I remember that before we got married, I was told that marriage is what holds you together when you fall in and out of love. And at the time, as a bride-to-be, I remember thinking, well, that's a, that sounds terrible and um, so not romantic at all, um, but uh, I was able to see the meaning and the value in that to be that uh, as long as you both are committed to the marriage and committed to, to Christ and uh, seeking his, his will and uh, in his guidance in your marriage, then, then we can beat the odds. And, um, and we can do so very happily and joyfully. And that has been what has sustained our marriage uh, thus far, <laughs> this year and a half, and uh, what will continue to sustain us going forward. Yeah, I, you've, you've heard no, a lot of good things today, and Drew summarized, I think, everything really well summarized he just laid it out really well what what marriage is and why we have it and um, we've had Amy and I've had great role models through our parents and she through hers um, but uh, I just want to share a couple quick things the how and the why um, marriage is there uh, that, that Jesus has taught me through my relationship with him the the why is is as I see it that um, God has given us the commitment of marriage as a as a 
a proxy to the type of relationship he wants to have, the intimacy he wants to have with us. And that there's, there's a real guiding principle to that in, in our marriage and, and a real satisfaction to... Um, and, the, and the how uh, our, in our marriage, uh, as, as we've seen in the, in the, in the New Testament, um, as Jesus is the, the groom and the church is the bride, and as Jesus sacrifices for the church, so should I, so should, so should we for each other. And, and again, there's a real satisfaction in that, you know, in this I generation that's tirelessly pursuing this and that. Um, we, don't have to, we don't have to do that. I don't have to do that. And so there's a real satisfaction that I can serve, and I prefer the word prioritize than sacrifice, um, because that's what it feels like. Um, but uh, it's been a real blessing. And uh, as, as has this church body been a blessing to us, we grew up in this church, and um, we're blessed to be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you all very much. Our uh, ultimate picture, as they shared, as we look at this arch right here, you know, if I move this block right here, it's all going to tumble. And really, it's this, this block right here that is like Christ. That it, it becomes that we have to eventually lean and almost fall in to Christ. And He holds us together in our commitment of Christian marriage. And as Joe said at the very beginning, you know, don't make it your highest priority to pursue one another, but pursue Christ. And as you pursue Him, you will pursue one another. You'll draw closer and closer to Him because you're pursuing the same Lord and Savior. And that's what Christian marriage is to be. Thank you, Dryers, very much for sharing uh, your story. Let's uh, take some time now and simply pray together. I uh, also would like for the uh, Sunlight Power team that's uh, headed up to Honduras to come down and uh, um, come down here so that we can pray uh, with you and, and for you as you leave this week. I believe there will even be information on the uh, screen of who all's going and their, their dates. Continue to remember that as we join and pray with, uh, with them. Yeah. Come up here so everybody can see. Uh-huh. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's pray together. First, gracious God, we lift up to you this team uh, that is uh, headed to Honduras, and we pray that they would be fulfilling their commitments to one another. That in their relationship with each other as a team, they will be called upon to give of themselves in order to to bless one another. To give of themselves in order to to serve one another. In order to accomplish your goals and purposes. I mean, the work of a team. May your spirit be at work in them and through them to fulfill your goals and purposes. We ask your safety, but even beyond their safety, we, we ask for your, your boldness, for your, your leading and guiding among them that they will show and speak of the love of Jesus Christ 
in their love for one another and in the love for the people that they go to serve. We also take this time and lift up one another. The, the, the relationships that are represented here, especially, dear God, we, we pray for those marriages. We, we pray for the, the marriages that are current and the marriages that are future. We pray not that you help us find the right one, but that you help us be the right one. We pray that you would help us be more and more like Christ in this most significant relationship. Continue to build, as uh, we just heard, that, that trust among us so that we're, we're willing to submit to one another. We're, we're willing to sacrifice, or at least what seems like sacrifice from our own agenda in order to pursue the other's agenda and there pursue you. Gracious God, we, we pray particularly for those relationships that need your healing touch, that need your work of reconciliation, that need your love in a, in a powerful way. Lord, we know that no relationship breaks over one or two wrong decisions, but over a history, a wrong direction. And gracious God, we, we know at times it takes your miraculous hand almost to, to make the change necessary. Do your work and the relationships represented here or those that are intimately connected with us. And we pray those areas where we are dangerously close, where we've, we've stepped over the boundary, that you would show it to us. The, the early decisions that we're making in our relationships that are harming our marriages, our significant relationships, Lord, show us those places. Give us the, the strength and the energy, the community to say no to the ways that we know are not your desire for our own benefit, for our own good. And continue to do your work in our midst. That we would be a place where we can be honest with each other. That when we're hurting, when we're broken, we can say it and not be shunned or not feel like we have a scarlet letter. But we might be a place of healing, of honesty, of words of truth, acts of love in an atmosphere of grace. We give ourselves to you, gracious God, for your work in and through us. And Lord, we also lift up to you those in our midst in need of your healing touch for their physical bodies. Lord, you know the. we continue to lift up to you Rob Mole and Carla Doppelman. We pray your hand in healing upon each of them and for the other needs that uh, are in our heart that go unmentioned. We lift them up to you. In the name of Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen.